Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, we have something interesting. We have an interesting show tonight, I believe. I, I believe it's going to be a uh, powerful, powerful show. We're going to talk about some things that a lot of people uh, don't like to discuss, but I think it needs to be brought up. I think we need to talk about it. And I think our guest tonight, Brian, is going to definitely give us some solutions to a lot of the things that we probably you know, want to ask these types of questions, but we just don't know how to ask them or we're afraid to ask them because of old wounds. Uh, we just, a lot of times we don't want to deal with it, but this is something that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, and um, the topic that we're going to discuss tonight is an issue of domestic violence, among other things. You know, and Greg, you know, you said that a lot of people don't like to talk about it. A lot of people don't discuss it. Well, imagine, you know, growing up and living in a place where, even the very mention of it could have you, you know, let's, let's see if I can say this in a nice way, x out. Yes. You know. So yes. tonight's guest, is gonna, she's going to talk about that. She's also going to talk about a lot of other things that are related to domestic violence. Yes. You know, but let's just start off by saying that we think that any form of domestic violence is just cruel and despicable. Yeah. You know, and let's let's just let that be the the basis and the groundwork of our discuss, of our discussion tonight. Any yeah. form of domestic violence is cruel and despicable, and definitely yeah, not something that that we agree with. Brian, you know, we also at, at some point in this conversation tonight, I believe we also need to talk about the laws and how it just seems so unfair to women that are being beaten in this country and even outside of this country. It's Mm -hmm. as if the women have to suffer so much before something happens. Uh, A woman, I've seen so many times we've seen on the news when a woman is defending herself and, and, you know, she's being beaten and she's defending herself and in the act of defending herself, she kills the guy. Mm -hmm. She goes to jail. Yep. She goes to jail. And it's just not fair for a woman to have to go in and get a restraining order and the police or the law says we can't do anything unless this person acts. Well, that act may be, you know, that may be her last time. That may be the last time, and and the, the police may not be around to protect her. So there's not a piece of paper that can, that will protect anyone. And it's just sad. It's just sad. And I'm sure uh, our guest is definitely going to hit on that because it's some things that's going on outside of this country, Brian, that we're just not aware of. And I can tell you, you will look at domestic violence in a whole different light after tonight. Mm Mm-hmm. I I think so as well. Greg, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. Let's bring her in. Yes, tonight's guest is Ms. Shoban Bantual. And she is a best-selling author and the author of two books, one called The Forbidden Daughter and the other one called The Dowry Bride. And we're going to bring her in and start our discussion. Okay, go ahead. Ms. Vantual, are you there? Yes. 
Hi, Hello, Ms. Greg. Hello, Brian. Yes, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me to be a guest. I'm yes. looking forward to discussing my book, and I'm looking forward to talking to both of you. Good, good. I think tonight is going to be a, a big education for a lot of people that you know that, that have questions. And I know you heard Brian and I discuss, you know, dialoguing back and forth and talking about some things. But there's also some things that you and I spoke about just the other night that a lot of people don't, they just don't realize. But we'll get into that. Uh, if you uh-huh. would, Miss Benwell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I was born and raised in India, and I immigrated to the U.S. as a young bride in an arranged marriage in 1974. Uh, and my husband and I have been living in New Jersey since then. Um, and uh, we have a married daughter and an infant grandchild. Um, I have a full-time job. Writing is just my uh, a hobby. Um, I work for the New Jersey state government, and that's my day job. Between my uh, demanding day job and the writing career, um, I'm very, very busy. Um, I really have no time left for anything else, but I enjoy the writing so much that uh, it's, very, it's a very pleasant sort of busyness for me. Um, and uh, this is something that I took up rather late in life. My writing career started as a result of uh, empty nest syndrome. When our grown daughter left home and my husband started working as a consultant in Baltimore, uh, back in 2002, and uh, to keep my evenings pleasantly occupied, I took up creative writing. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, before I knew it, I was a published author, and uh, since then, it's become a, a full-time second career for me. Awesome. Wow. That's amazing. You know, most of the time you hear people talk about it being born out of, you know, suffering or born out of something that you had to go through, but yours started out more of as a hobby. Yes. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the book. Now, you have two books out, and we named them earlier. One is called The Forbidden Daughter. Uh-huh. You know, and the other one is called The Dowry Bride. Uh-huh. Now, there, there are some people who may not know what a dowry bride is. Can you explain that a little bit and then tell us about uh-huh. the book? Sure. Uh, dowry is a system of giving a gift in the form of cash or real estate or jewelry or, um, you know, amongst the farming community. It's maybe livestock. It can be anything of value that is given to a gro- the groom's family during um, a marriage ceremony. And it is the, uh, the bride's parents that give that as a gift. Um, it, it, like a lot of customs, it started out with good intentions. Um, it started out as a way to give the bride a part of her parents' estate uh, in a patriarchal society. Uh, in societies like India, all of the parents' uh, money and estate would go to the son. And uh, one of the reasons dowry system started was so that the daughter would have a little part of it also. So when she got married and she became part of somebody else's family, she was given this money as a gift. And uh, it, in some ways, it was meant to be like a like an insurance policy for the girl. Um, if she lost her husband or if he abandoned her or if they fell upon bad times, this was supposed to be like an insurance policy. The, the cash and the, and the jewelry and everything could be sold, you know, um, well, real estate and, and jewelry could be sold for some money. And uh, eventually, over the years, um, something that started out with good intentions turned into a very ugly system where the gift turned into an entitlement. 
And as you and I know, when a gift becomes an entitlement, um, you know, it starts to get ugly. And right. uh, the Delhi system became into something really bad when uh, the groom's family started to demand huge sums of money and gifts that the bride's parents couldn't afford. And uh, sometimes it can turn into a case of abuse for the bride because she has not brought the uh, expected dowry or she, um, you know, the dowry wasn't quite to their expectations. And uh, sometimes it can turn into um, a bad case of abuse that goes a little too far and even death for the bride. And what I did was I picked one extreme case um, of a bride who is about to be killed, and I turned it into a story. Uh, so I, I figured uh, if it was a subject that I could, as a sociology major uh, in college and in grad school, I could have turned it into a nonfiction book on dowry system and the evil practices of India. But I figured with that, I wouldn't teach a, a sizable audience. To be able to bring awareness to um, American audiences, I thought I should make it into a uh, an interesting story, and, and this way I could reach a, reach a much, much wider audience. And that's what happened. Um, I made it into a, <laughs> excuse me, made it into an interesting story. And, uh, you know, about over 20,000 books uh, got sold of the first um, first book, The Dowry Bride. Wow. And so you felt the best way to, to reach them was to make it into, you know, I can re- I recall Greg uh, another author who did that where they took uh, um, a situation and they took a lot of facts and put them in the story so that it would be sort of like a nonfiction fiction book. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you did, Miss Maxwell. So yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I, and I put a little, little fact. Sorry, yeah, I put a little fact into it. And uh, build a story around one extreme case, and then uh, you know, this was um, well. When I started to write these both these books, my uh, aim was to um, educate and inform and entertain at the same time. And I think um, to a large degree, I have attained that goal because I get a lot of feedback through my website and uh, at author events when I go out to face audiences and speak to them about my books. Um, I get a lot of good feedback saying, wow, we really never had heard of this system, or some of them will say we had heard of the dowry system, but we really didn't know to what extent the abuse would go. And uh, the same thing with uh, the Forbidden Daughter. Um, they had no idea that some of these things happen in, in different parts of the world, and uh, that my books have brought some awareness to this. To this. And... Uh, and my niche market is mostly women, so you know the, women can relate to a lot of these themes because they are women's issues. Right, right, exactly. You know, and the thing that's so compelling about what you've done is that most people don't realize that, you know, when they read the story, just how true some of the things that you talk about in the story really are. Yeah. You know, I can recall, you know, seeing it on CNN and some of the other news channels where they talked about um, uh, the arranged marriages and the fact that sometimes if the bride disagreed with who they had to marry, that they would do honor killings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, bringing awareness to this thing, you know, so that people will really know what's going on, 
you yeah. know, it's, I think it's just so important, and it's it's wonderful that you had the courage to do something like this. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I get my share of um, denigration from uh, my fellow Indians or my you know people who come from that kind of a culture. They um, they think it it really is not a good idea to show the darker side of our culture to the rest of the world. And I disagree with them because I think it's very important for people to be made aware of what goes on in the rest of the world. And it's not so bad to portray the dark as well as the good side of a culture because in my books I try to portray both, that there is kindness and there is um, importance uh, placed on family. Um, Family life is very, very important. Um, you know, and uh, although there are arranged marriages, they're happy marriages. Um, I'm a product of a happy marriage myself. My parents were happily married for many, many years. All my sisters who were born and raised in India, just like me, they've had arranged marriages. And um, I've been happily married for 35 years, and that was a strictly arranged marriage. And that's something that uh, seems to tickle my audiences a lot, too, um, here I am, a woman in my 50s, standing in front of a group and talking about arranged marriage, and they all want to know, well, um, how did you meet him? Um, you know, what kind of a marriage did you have? I uh, I tell them that I met him two days before I got engaged, and 10 days later we were married. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been happily married for 35 years like that. Wow, that, that's amazing. You know, I was going to ask you the questions um Are there any repercussions from writing about controversial topics? Uh, you just said that. A lot of people didn't like for you to do that, but um, have you suffered any um, thing because of your books? Uh, yes, I I do get um, you know so, some amount of email um, reprimanding me for uh, you know portraying something that they feel is not a nice thing to portray, or that I that I have been inaccurate um, in my portrayal that you know dowry is not as rampant as I've made it out to be, but. Um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of dowry marriages uh, when I was growing up, and uh, from what I can see from newspapers and the magazine articles, it has actually escalated instead of um, easing a little bit. And I, 35 years ago, when I left India to come to the United States, I thought um, the dowry system would virtually disappear, maybe in a quarter of a century. And here it is, 35 years later, and it's actually gotten worse from what I hear stories from India that um, that it has escalated instead of gone down. Um, one of the reasons is probably because um, economic um, conditions have improved so much in India that there is a whole new middle class that has now gone into the upper class because of uh, the high-tech industry and uh, um, you know so much manufacturing in India now and uh, a lot of the call centers for American and European companies are now based in India, and um, that has caused um, people to become quite wealthy, you know, and uh, the middle class is no longer just the middle class, now there's an upper middle class. And I uh, now um, people feel that uh, people can afford a larger dowry. So the demand for large dowries apparently has gone up instead of gone down, and the abuse that goes along with it has also escalated. And, and that's kind of very troubling for me. And that's also one of the reasons why I thought this would be this would make a good book that it would bring awareness to a topic that nobody has written about. Um, I did some research and found that uh, no other author has 
use the uh, the dowry system or gender-based abortions as main themes of their book. So those are the two um, topics that I felt I wanted to write about. Yes. Tell us about the uh, gender-based abortions, and, and, and is this something that's still going on in India now? Oh, yes. Um, in fact, it is, it's more of a new phenomenon in India because um, about 20 or 24 years ago, um, ultrasound technology was introduced in India. And um, at first, of course, again, like the dowry system, it started out with good intentions. This was also started out with good intentions. As you know, um, all over the world, sonogram technology is typically used to find tumors and, um, you know, defective uh, babies and um, things like that. And that's how it started. But um, all of a sudden, they realized that you could tell the sex of the baby when it was still in the womb and when it was still a small fetus. And um, they found a way to make it into a cause for aborting female babies because in societies like India, they consider girls a liability and uh, not an asset. They think um, boys are assets and girls are liabilities, mainly because mainly because boys are considered um, future breadwinners, future caretakers of the parents, um, you know, boys who will also carry on the family name and the family tradition, whereas girls, um, you know, you spend so much money on their education and their weddings and everything, and then they're gone and they become part of the husband's family and they're no longer your your part of the family. And, um, you know, dowries are expensive. So everybody wants a son. Nobody wants a daughter. And that, that's what has caused this rash of um, uh, abortions, um, gender-based abortions. And um, although the uh, law says it's illegal, um, sometime in 1995, um, there was a law, 1994, there was a law passed by the Indian government banning um, the, uh, you know, prenatal diagnostics um, techniques and also banning discussing the sex of the baby with the parents. But there are some ruthless doctors who still do it, and then, you know, when the parents want an abortion, they don't feel any compunction in performing an abortion. So, unfortunately, that's another thing that has taken root in India and Pakistan and China and, um, you know, some of the other Asian countries, and it uh, doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Yes, I am actually aware of the one, of the um, of how the Chinese government has done it. Where they said you only can if you have any more than two children, then right. you know there are repercussions behind that. But I was, right. I'm I'm like shocked that yeah. it happens you know in India, you know yeah. like I said, you know and Grace talked about earlier tonight we're gonna learn a lot, you know about you know that particular about your your culture in India, as well right. as you know the things that are going on that you know most people uh-huh. just take for granted. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I have a friend that has, you know, four girls, and uh-huh. you know, she wanted a son, but she settled for girls. She has four of them. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah. you know, I could never see. Oh wait a minute, you know, I didn't want a son. I want a daughter. I don't have a daughter, so, you know, or, or I got a daughter instead of a son, so I decide I don't want that baby. I mean, to me, that doesn't. <laughs> that that's kind of like that's. Well, it is cruel, but, I mean, it's just kind of, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in the old days, they didn't have any of this technology. Now, my parents um, had five girls and no boys, 
And I guess they wanted a son. I mean, they always wanted a son, but it just didn't happen. But we were fortunate that we were born in a family that cherished girls just as much as boys. So um, mm-hmm. we were given lots of love and care, and we were given plenty of education. Every one of us um, got, you know, excellent education. So, well, that's one of the good things that, that, that happened to us, the, the um, quality of the education. That's one of the reasons why we all went on to have good careers and uh you know, I, I even went, went on to become a published author. If my parents hadn't put me to a good school, I wouldn't have been able to do all that. Right. You know, but it's just, it's like, it's almost shocking when you think about it, you know, that they would, you know, most people just abort because they don't want a child, period. You know, but yeah. to actually know the sex of the baby and then decide, wow. To yeah. see that yeah. baby moving, you know, in the womb through a sonogram and then make that decision. Oh That's yeah, kind of tough. And that um, I don't know if you got a chance to read the book, but um, in the Forbidden Daughter, I have a scene where um, the the young couple gets to see the baby on the monitor, and the doctor, when he casually mentions that you're going to have a girl, and that it's going to be a second child, that this is their second child, they already have a daughter, and he casually mentions the option of abortion. The mother sees the the fetus moving on the monitor, and she says, "Absolutely not! That is not an option. I want to have a child." Mm-hmm. And and that's how the story starts with um you know the couple refusing to have an abortion, despite the fact that um the husband's parents are pushing them to have an abortion because um he's their only son, and if he doesn't have any sons, then there's there's nobody to carry on the family name. And um, the young couple says, no, we are going to have this child because it is our child and we're going to have it no matter what the sex. And then that's what um, unleashes a a bizarre chain of events that, uh, you know, that kind of continues through the story and and makes it um, intriguing and uh, makes it, you know, a different kind of a story. Wow. That that is, that's really tough. You know, we hear about abortions in this country, but to hear... um, you know, it going on in another country is 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 just mind-boggling to me because I I don't know why I just thought that in other countries this was something that was frowned upon as far as having mm-hmm. an abortion. I, I just thought it was. I I understand uh, China because of so many people, but in your country, India, you know, is I I guess I'm just having a hard time understanding why they want you know. Uh, just boys, um, yes. you know. I, I don't. Is it why? Why is that? Why do they just want just boys? Why is that? Well, a number of reasons. Um, in Indian uh, religion, um, in the Hindu religion, it is a belief that um, a parent will not go to heaven if um, you know the last rites are not performed by a son. Um, that's one of the reasons, and uh, that's one of the minor reasons these days, actually. People are not as religious as they used to be. But mainly, um, it is a, a strict belief that the son is the caretaker and that in their old age, he will take care of them, and if there's a family business, he will take care of it, and he will also carry on the family name, whereas the daughter gets married and takes on a different name. So she and her children will, will carry on a different um, tradition and not theirs. And again, you know, like um, dowries are expensive, so someday the daughter will grow up and there's, there's a dowry to be paid. And uh, mind you, dowry is not 
um, you know, um, a universal thing in India. Many of us never see dowry. Uh, my my parents never had to pay a dowry for any of the five girls. So it's not not that it happens in every community. There are pockets of communities where dowry is is a, a very big thing, and and they follow that um, scrupulously. Whereas um, in other communities, um, there is absolutely no dowry at all. So um, it's not all over. And again, same thing with gender-based abortion. Um, it's certain people that you know, that don't have any scruples about getting rid of a, um, a female fetus. And then there are other parents who are quite happy with um, any sex that they have. But unfortunately, it's it's the smaller rural areas that have more of this. Um, in the old days, just like China, um, they used to kill um, newborn female babies because there was no sonogram technology. Now they've come up with a way to get rid of the female baby long before she's born. And, and uh, you know, this is with absolutely no regard for the fine balance of nature. Because I think, uh, personally, I think it's messing with nature if you're killing selectively all the females. Um, a British journal called The Lancet um, had some statistics back a couple of years ago in an article. They say that um, approximately 10 million female fetuses have been aborted in the last 20 years in India alone. Wow. So that's that's 10 million um, females that have been killed off, potential females that have been killed off. And that's kind of upsetting the balance of nature. Um, as it is, uh, the Asian countries have more males to females. So for every thousand males, there are, you know, lesser females. But in some areas where this practice has become so common and female infanticide too, when, when the baby is killed after she is born, um, the ratio is even worse. In fact, um, China, as I'm sure you gentlemen know, that has been going through some serious social problems where in mm-hmm. small uh, villages there are no brides to be had for young men. Mm-hmm. So they have been forced to marry their own cousins in a lot of places because there are no young women to go around, and now they're beginning to see the error of their ways. And uh, the same thing is happening in India, I understand, in certain rural areas of North India. Uh, there are a lot of young marriageable aged men who, and there are not enough girls to go around. So uh, they're so beginning to see the error. I'm sorry. Um, I've actually uh, heard about that in uh, in Italy as well. Uh-huh. That, that was is that right? On. Yeah. Uh, I um, can't remember what, it was like a small city in Italy where uh-huh. they didn't have, they had virtually no females left, and that the city had, you know, literally become where uh, everybody there was related. Yeah. Because, the, because yeah. most of the young men, when they, you know, got of age, they didn't have anybody yeah. to marry, so they would leave. And so yeah. now their town is virtually, you know, less, when it used to be like a flourishing city with, you know, five 6,000 people, now uh-huh. they don't have any people left and they're encouraging the uh the the women that are there to have as many uh-huh. babies as they want <laughs> and they would pay for it they said that, uh-huh. you know they would pay for everything for the child's education and the only stipulation was that they had to live and stay in that city they couldn't leave oh, I see. you know yeah. because they had because of the shortage there were just sh- so few people left yes yeah i can imagine yeah um, it takes a little while for for something like that to happen, but 
eventually after about 25, 30 years of practicing this, it, it you know, it starts to sink in. And that's what's happening in India with the sonogram technology um, was introduced there less than 25 years ago. So consequently now, 20 years later, when there should have been a lot of uh, young ladies who are becoming marriageable, of marriageable age, uh, they've disappeared. So, right. yep. You know, let's talk a little bit about, um, you talk about uh, if they didn't give enough money or enough of the dowry that the uh -huh. women could face, um, you know, abuse and stuff like that. Uh-huh. How how prevalent is that? Is that something that's rare, or is that something that's a common occurrence? Well, uh, to to the, the abuse to some extent is quite common, um, but it it's uh, usually verbal abuse, and uh, to some degree maybe some physical abuse. But um, the extreme uh, scene of death is uh, is not that common, and yet. Um, statistics, when I was doing um, some of the uh, research for this book, I was shocked uh, to find that uh, statistics say that there is one dowry de death um, every 77 minutes somewhere in India. Wow. Um, so that, that's a lot of uh, women. It's a lot more than I had anticipated. Um, my thinking was that, you know, and, and my... Uh, experience was limited to to my experiences, you know, and um, everything that went on around me. And I was raised, born and raised in a small town, so I really didn't get to see a whole lot of it around me. I heard about it, but I never saw anything before my eyes. So when I um, came to live here, and I've lived here all my adult life in New Jersey, um, I had probably not really given serious thought to this issue. And I had thought, well, maybe a few thousand women for, you know, for every five or ten years. But then when I did my, my research on, online, I found that, oh, my God, this is, this is really horrendous. Um, one death every 77 minutes is pretty shocking. Yeah, I actually did some research as well, and I found that in India, it said more than huh? 5,000 brides die annually because their dowries yeah. are considered insufficient. And yeah, yeah. Those are using Yeah, And so they say that is, really a, that is really a conservative estimate because uh, most of the cases go undocumented. Right, and that's um, what I was just about to say. A lot of it is uh, if it, it largely goes undocumented. These are only the reported numbers. Correct. Yeah, correct. Because, um, you know, India is a culture where um, the family reputation means everything. The family comes before the person. And uh, nobody reports these things because they don't want any family secrets to go out, um, you know, to be, to be publicized. And that's why they, they, nobody reports this. Neighbors keep, keep their mouth shut and, uh, you know, and, and relatives keep their mouth shut. Nobody talks about it. Nobody reports it. And um, the uh, you know the young lady's body, or even if it's an older woman, the body is just disposed of, and there there's cremation, so there isn't even a body to be exhumed, you know, to see if there was any kind of uh, anything strange about the death. Wow, you know that is that's just you know I, I'm I'm trying to understand why why is it that. Even in this country, you have a lot of people that um, just don't value women. 
And it just seems like in, in, in your country, India, it just seems like um, a lot of pressure is put on women to do certain things. Um, you, you said having little girls, you know, they, they, they want boys, babies. You don't have any control over that. Absolutely. And them, yeah, and for them to kill your child, yep. and you don't have a say-so. That's right. What, and it okay. seems like it seems like you know the, it's the it's the elders in the family that control all the decisions, and um, you know it's it's a uh, culture of contradictions. India is really a culture of contradictions because uh, women these days are getting a lot of education. Uh, they are going forward in politics, in uh, the, the field of medicine, engineering. Uh, they're getting about as much edu- education as the, the young men, and they they hold jobs that are very responsible. And yet, their their uh, career is separated from their home life. At home, they are daughters, they are wives, they are sisters, they are mothers, and and you know that's separate from their from their career. And at home, it is usually the man who dominates the home. Yes. Do you do you have a lot of people, a lot of women that move from uh, India? They come here to live. Do you, uh-huh. do you have a lot of people saying, I will never go back to that country. I, I'll, I'll stay here where I don't have to worry about a lot of the things that I worry about at home. But this is home. This is your home in India. Yes. But, yes. but, to, leave, but to leave because of beliefs that is just, is just uh, how can I say, just absolutely crazy. You know, it's almost, yeah. it's, it, it, it's almost like slavery, and I don't want to put uh, anybody's countries down, but I, it, it's just something we're just calling, you know, we're just talking about it for what it is. It is what it is, you know, what's going on, and it needs to be uh, brought out in the uh, public. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was one of the reasons why I picked subjects that, uh, you know, that are hot-button social issues, and these are women's issues, and... Uh, it does uh, provoke a lot of debate, um, and uh, that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of women's clubs and you know book clubs have picked up this book. Uh, I mean, both the books, and uh, you know, because it does provoke a lot of discussion, especially for uh, American and Canadian women. And now, now, both my books have been published in North America only. So, um, in spite of that, though, they are available in the rest of the world because of Amazon.com and you know the online booksellers um, who sell all over the world. But primarily, uh, they have been published in the United States and Canada, and a lot of American and Canadian women are fascinated by this subject. Um, In some uh, ways, I guess it's kind of a perverse fascination uh, to to find out about what goes on with women in other countries. And also, um, I've tried to keep some of the gruesome facts out of my stories. Although I... um, introduce the subject, I don't make it gory so that it turns somebody off. Um, it is it is turned into a romantic story. There's yeah. a lot of romance in my books. Yes, I was about to say, it's very smart how you've written this book, or these books, because you have romance in them, you have a lot of different things in them, but the meat of it is, you know, it, it's not so power, powering that it just makes one think, oh, this is the worst thing ever. But you have different things in there, but you're still uh, getting your point across to what's going on. They know that this is real, but the part, you know, the different things that's drawing them to the book, 
is mm-hmm. that's, that's very smart. And, and I tell you, it, it, just keep doing it that way because if you're just writing that book based on just what's going on, I don't think a lot of people would want to buy it. Yeah, that's exactly why I decided I didn't want to write nonfiction because, uh, um, you know, I could have made it into uh, not just plain old boring nonfiction or creative nonfiction, which would be a little bit more interesting, but I still would have a very limited audience to, uh, you know, to read my books. Um, but in this fashion, it has um, taken off very well. And um, the publisher, uh, my publisher, Kensington Publishing, liked the uh, premise so much that uh, they've given me another uh, contract for two more books. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you think are some of the solutions that someone can take back to this country to say, we need to do something different, this is wrong, or to the women that uh, the babies are being taken from them, you know, at birth, when they first become pregnant or whatever, and they find out that it's not a male and they do the abortion, what are what are some, some solutions to help them get through this? What what do you have or what do you suggest? I think the, the only solution is um, educating the girls as much as possible. And um, it is now slowly happening in the larger cities that um, women are beginning to recognize, um, you know, the importance of standing up for their own rights and for emancipation because now after having lived in the larger cities, they have gotten a taste of independence. And many of them stand up for their own rights. So eventually when they do get married and and get pregnant and they realize it's it's a girl, they refuse to go through abortions and... Um, that is, uh, you know, my protagonist in the book is one such woman who refuses to um, do it despite the uh, the coercion that's coming from her in-laws. So, um, you know, in that respect, I've shown her to be a, a strong young modern woman, although she is um, conservative in other ways and very traditional in other ways. This is one place where she puts her foot down and, uh, you know, she thumbs her nose at her in-laws. And that's what gets her into trouble in the first place. Because now she's, you know, she's talking back to the elders, which is not done in Indian culture. She's standing up for her own rights and her child's, her unborn child's uh, right to live. So that, I think, eventually I think that's the only thing that's going to change. And also the the recognition that, um, you know, there aren't going to be enough females around. And, um, you know, that, that's slowly beginning to sink in. So hopefully, uh, you know, this, this trend will be reversed very soon. Yes. And it's probably going no. to come to a point where the, the men might have to pay, to, uh, pay a dowry to get a wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what I always thought. That's what the, it used to be. The, the way it should be, way, because, you know, you're going to have to take care of her. And, you know, I would, like I used to tell my kids, when your husband comes, like I have two young girls, and I always tell myself, uh-huh. when you get ready to get married, uh-huh. so your husband, he's got to bring $50,000. <laughs> you know, they laugh, and it's like, he's going to make you a rich man. <laughs> and I told him, I said, well, no. I said, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in the bank, and if he ever do anything that you have to leave him, that's going to yeah. get me out of jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a you good know. way of looking at it. It's probably going to happen like that in India pretty soon, and the men are going to have to shell out a lot of money to get themselves a bride. 
Yeah. It used to be that way a long time ago. It used to you used to have to bring something to the table for the fathers before you could marry their, their daughters. Their daughters, but I guess in your country, uh, the religion is just not that way. But in some, back in the day, that's just how it used to be. You just couldn't come off yeah. the street. Oh, I want to marry your daughter. Well, you had so to you how, had to have enough much? to take care of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to prove your worth. Yes, right. That you're capable of taking care of his daughter, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, Another topic that um, we haven't really discussed that much, but uh-huh. it is sort of uh, it's still in line with this, and that's the issue of domestic violence. Uh-huh. You know, because from what I've heard in a lot of the arranged marriages, that uh-huh. if the woman had uh, had not wanted to marry that man, or uh-huh. you know they didn't agree with the arranged marriage, and they uh-huh. had to go with go through it anyway, that. Uh-huh even if the man beat them and everything, that most of the women weren't not allowed to get divorces. Yeah, back in the old days. Yeah, back in the old days, that was indeed true. Uh, Well, that was because the women didn't have any economic independence. They had very little education. Uh, They had no place to go. And if there were children from that marriage, then, um, you know, she had no way of raising those kids with uh, no job or, um, no income of any kind, and uh, so she was stuck in that marriage. But that, uh, hope, you know, hopefully is changing at this time because women, um, especially in the uh, cities, are getting a, a very decent education. And one of the good things about Indian culture is that uh, college education is, is um, you know, within the reach of, a, of the common man, um, unlike the United States where college tuition is exceptionally high. And, um, you know, a certain number of people are not able to go to college. Um, In India, most middle-class kids can acquire a college education because it's not that prohibitively expensive. And, um, you know, so as a consequence, the girls are getting a lot of education. And also the um, um, high-tech industry in India has spawned so many new job openings that to fill those openings, you need a lot of people. And... uh, Subsequently, girls as well as boys are getting advanced degrees to fill those positions. And because of that, um, you know, girls are becoming economically independent. And when girls are economically independent, they have the wherewithal to walk away from a bad marriage. Wow. Hmm. i tell you what, um, you know, with, with, with walking away from the marriage, is, it, is the divorce setting, is it different? from how it's done here because here it's it's harder to get married than it is to get a divorce. Mm. You have the course you have the classes you have to go through before you get married. But when you're going through a divorce in a lot of places it's just you hire a lawyer, they hire a lawyer and you just go at it. Is that is it yeah. is that the same way it's done in your country? Yeah. Uh actually uh divorce it was almost unheard of uh, about uh, you know 30, 40 years ago, but it's slowly becoming common. And the, and uh, subsequently, the laws have changed also to adjust to that. Um, the, it, divorce is almost as easy as here, except probably the uh, waiting period is a little longer in India. Hmm. I was told that uh, 
uh, when I was doing my research, I was told that uh, there has to be a complete separation for one whole year mm. before they can uh, even file for divorce. So in, in that period, if they see each other, uh, then, you know, they have to wait another year. Mm. So um, typically, if there's going to be a divorce, they make sure that they don't see each other at all in the whole year. That's what they both want. With, with, um, with, yeah, I'm sorry. With the families, you said that family comes first in, in, in the yes. country. So with someone yes. going through a divorce, which is an ugly thing, uh, what do they do? They usually just keep that very quiet and no one says anything about it. It's just something that you know that you don't talk about. It's just something that's being done. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, it's considered a stigma. Um, even to this day, it's considered a stigma, a divorce. So they keep it very quiet and um, because they think that it's going to affect uh, the other siblings, especially if you have girls in the family, if you have other marriageable girls in the family or, or young kids who will grow up to be young ladies one day. Uh, even one divorce in the family is considered a stigma, and, uh, you know, it kind of taints the whole family. And that's why they keep it quiet. And that's why they also very often put up with abuse uh, and a bad marriage because they don't want to bring uh, problems upon the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. um, it especially happens in, in families where there are lots of girls. Um, it, because it can, you know, that kind of a shame can put a dark cloud over not just your siblings, but even your cousins and your know, extended family. So a lot of women put up with it just to uh, make sure that they're protecting everybody else. Yeah, Brian touched on, uh, he said he wanted to talk about domestic violence. And uh, uh -huh. I, I guess apart from that, uh, we can add to that too, the, the, the molestation and rape that goes on in marriages or um before someone is is married, you know, if a woman is not married yet and she's raped, uh, uh -huh. and, and that word gets out, will she ever be married? Will someone ever marry her? Or will they still try to set up an arrangement with someone that uh, was raped? Um, well, that's that's a very difficult question to answer. I guess if they lie about it and quietly get her married off to somebody, then it probably will happen. But um, a raped woman again, you know, it's it's almost as well. It's probably worse than being divorced, uh, because at least in the divorce she was um, legally married to somebody, and it didn't work out. But right. in the case of rape, she's you know she's no longer a virgin, and that's something that probably is held against her. And um, that's that's one issue that I really haven't um, uh, done a lot of research on. But I would imagine that that would be a stigma for life. It used to be anyway when I was growing up, but um, like I said, you know, things have changed a lot. I'm totally amazed at how India has changed. I don't go back that often for visits, uh, maybe once in four or five years. And every time my husband and I go there, we, we are completely stunned by the changes that have happened there. And it seems like we are in a time warp because we, our vision of India is what we left behind uh, in the 70s. And now we go and find a different India where there's so much, you know, people are so fashion conscious and they're eating um, American and European style food and they, you know, they go to bars and they go dancing and things like that and, and things that uh, we had never even dreamt about when we were growing up. So, um, you know, the, by the same token, um, the institution of marriage also has changed considerably. I mean, we, we hear of a lot of divorces. We 
we know of a lot of divorces amongst younger couples, and uh, it seems to be accepted quite well lately, surprisingly well. Mm. Yes, we have a, a question from uh, one of our MySpace listeners, and they want to know, are men generally convicted for domestic violence over in India? Very rarely, because, um, it, you know, domestic violence is something that is kept so private inside the house that nobody will talk about it. Um, even women who are not even from the lower lower classes, you know, women in upper classes and, and rich families, even they go through a lot of domestic violence, and they don't talk about it. Um, again, it's it's a matter of a family honor and family reputation that if word got out that the man in the family is an abuser, then, you know, it would bring shame upon the family, so nobody talks about it. So it's a very, very private affair that nobody talks about, and, and that's one of the sad things about um, the family life. There are good things to to be had um, in a, in a an extended family and and in a close family ties, but there are also bad things when everybody um, hushes up all of the evil that goes on in a in a family like that. And uh, that's the reason why it's um, you know the dowry abuse is not documented. That's also the reason why gender based abortion is not documented because nobody reports it to the police. And then also, by the way, um, India has a very corrupt police force, a very corrupt police force. Um, for a bribe, they'll look the other way. Wow. Uh, again, again, we're talking about women. It's, uh, it's like they don't have any value, but you carry uh, the babies that these men want, uh, the little boys. You carry them, but you're pretty much, if they don't want you, they mistreat you and do anything they want to you as long as you uh, would do what they say. It's almost That's almost like slavery. Yeah, in some cases it is. In, uh, in a lot of cases it is. And um, the only good thing I see um, lately is, like I said, uh, young women who are becoming a lot more independent because they are economically independent and they feel that they really don't need a husband who's abusive. If he's not worth keeping around, then, you know, they just walk away from the marriage and uh, oh. file for divorce. Oh. And, um, you know, it, 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 divorce is not a good thing. Um, you know, it, it's an unfortunate consequence of, of uh, modern society, but um, it, it, it's probably a better to be divorced than um, live through a bad marriage. Yeah, right, okay. right. Okay. Yeah. You know, I always say it's better to be divorced than dead, too. You know, when you, when yeah. you look at, um, I mean, just a staggering number of women who are killed because of something that they have no control over, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's not even, you know, discussing the fact of the rate of women who died due to bad abortions or botched abortions. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. What they call back alley abortions, right? Right. Um, yeah, those those can happen in India a lot because not everybody, the you know, the poorer sex, section of people can't afford to go to a doctor and they, they want to get rid of a female fetus. They go to all kinds of people who are not qualified to do that uh, and uh, the, the procedure is done under very uh, unhygienic conditions uh, that can lead to uh, death. Yes, yes. Mm. You know, that's... Let's turn the corner here. Let's go and let's talk about some of the upcoming events that you have. And also, mm-hmm. 
I want to talk a little bit about some of your short fiction awards and honors that you've done. I've been kind of, you know, going over your site and looking at some of the things you've done. Mm-hmm. You know, talk a little bit about that as well. Okay. Well, uh, I started with short fiction. Uh, when I first took up creative writing, I started writing uh, small social interest articles similar to Life in these United States and the Reader's Digest. I started writing um, social interest articles for uh, a number of um, Indian American newspapers and other publications, and those uh, took off very well, so I started writing short fiction um, because somebody had told me that if I wanted to really take up writing seriously, I should start in a small way and establish a reputation and uh, build up a resume, and that was excellent advice because uh, when I started looking for a literary agent to represent me, uh, when I sent out query letters, I could proudly say that, hey, I have so many things published already, and I am a published author, of, uh, and I'm a published freelance um, writer and an author of short fiction that's been published. So that kind of helped me along the way. So, yes, I started entering contests, and I was very pleasantly surprised when uh, you know, I got a couple of honorable mentions and one top prize in uh, a competition. So that kind of spurred me on to write um, uh, full-length novels. In fact, uh, the Dowry Bride started as a um, as a short story. Actually, it was a homework project for a class that I took at the local community college in creative writing. And um, you know, the instructor encouraged me to make it into a full length novel, and it ended up becoming a full length novel. Cool. All right. All right. And yeah, and you asked yeah. me about uh, next week's event. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, something the. Uh, it's a South Asian women's organization that uh, assists uh, victims of domestic violence, and uh, they approached me and asked if, um, they, you know, they could launch my book, and in return, you know, they would they would have a sizable pe- number of people coming to uh, um, offer donations, and I said, yeah, and I will offer um, all the profits from my book sales as a donation too, anything that I could do to help them, and you know. So it's a win-win situation. They're helping me launch my book, and I'm helping them, you know, bring in some donors. That's awesome. Oh, awesome, awesome. And that's going to be held at the Potter's House Coffee House. That's, that's correct. Potter's House Coffee House in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And it's on Columbia Road. Go out. It's going to be Saturday, October 11th at 3 p.m. And at mm-hmm. Potter's House Coffee House. 1658 Columbia Road, Northwest, Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. the code is two, I mean, I'm sorry, the phone number is 202-232-5483. That's correct. All right. And then you also have another uh, show you're going to do on the 27th. Yes. I'm going to be speaking to Nikki Lee. Mm-hmm. All right, and you can also go to her site uh, and check out that show on October 27th from uh-huh. 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com slash Nikki, that's N-I-K-K-I, Lay, L-E-I-G-H. And then you have some other stuff coming up in November uh, as well. You're going to do a book discussion at a women's group meeting in New Jersey, and you're going to be a pretty busy woman. <laughs> it seems like you're going all across. You're going to be in Arizona as well. Yes. So yeah. Yes. It seems like you're going to be pretty busy. Yeah, uh, we have a married daughter in Arizona, so um, whenever we visit her, 
I try to, uh, you know, squeeze in some book promotion as well. I might as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. You know what? What about if someone wanted to have you come to their place for book signings or or speaking engagements and, and that type of thing? How would they get in contact with you if that's something that you that you're willing to do? Um, uh, a lot of book clubs that are out of state get in touch with me through my website, and then we set up a date and we do it over the phone. They put me on speakerphone or like a conference call. And I address the whole group. And if it's within driving distance, within, uh, say, 70, 80 miles of where I live in New Jersey, um, I go out in person and, and talk to them. So I go to various libraries and book clubs, and I address people that way in person. Uh, otherwise, I do it by phone. And uh, you know, every once in a while, like the Washington, D.C. Uh, event, which is very special, I think, um, you know, I'm more than willing to drive all the way up there for a, for a considerably large and, and special occasion. So. I do it different ways, and the best way to contact me is through my website. It's www.sherbanbantwal.com, and I have a contact page in, at the end, and uh, they can anybody can contact me through that email. Mm-hmm. All right, and we've also listed that in our chat room, so you can check that website out. Excellent. All right, it's there now. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've had an awesome discussion, and, you know, I, I think that, well, I know for myself, it's it's definitely been something that's been educational for me. And, you know, on a, on a personal note, I want to make sure that, you know, that we can do whatever we can do as a, you know, as a radio show or whatever to help you all out uh, in getting the word out. Just let us know. Thank you very much. We're definitely open for that. Yeah, Greg and Brian, thank you very much. This has been a very enjoyable hour discussing my book with both of you, and uh, thank you very much for hosting me on your show today. All right, all right. Greg, you still there? I think we might have lost Greg, but I know he's around somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But again, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And good night. To all of our listeners, we want to make sure that you all go to the website. That's Shobanbonfall.com. That's S-H-O-B-H-A-N-B-A-N-T-W-A-L.com. And we definitely want you to purchase the books. Uh, first book is The Forbidden Daughter, and the second book is The Dowry Bride. Please go out purchase those books. You can go to the website to order them, or you can go to Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Borders, or you can ask whatever bookstores in your town to order the book for you. And those books, again, are The Dowry Bride and The Forbidden Daughter, and they're written by Choban Bantois. And, again, we thank you for joining us tonight. And for our listeners, please come back and join us again. Wednesday night we'll have another exciting show. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you again. Good evening, and God bless.